Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dean Rogers Show. Today, I got a special guest, Chris Seventy. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dean, for having me. How are you today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys, welcome to the Dean Rogers Show, where we talk about real deals that we're doing and bring on awesome guests to talk about how they're finding success in their business to inspire and motivate you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. All right, see you on the show. We were talking a little bit before we got started here about your background. Super cool and can't wait to dive into it. Um, just to give everybody kind of a little bit of a highlight reel. Um, your background is actually working for, in the corporate world, a commercial real estate company who's done all different types of big commercial real estate projects. So you're you're deeply entrenched and ingrained in, in real estate. And um, then you had a health scare go on in your life, kind of had to figure out how to transition, move through that. You've done note investing, and now you've got a big new project I'll save for you to share, which is pretty, pretty crazy exciting. Um, so that's awesome. If you guys want to check out Chris, you can go to youtube.com forward slash 7E, the number seven, the letter E, investments, 7E investments. You can also go to 7einvestments.com or you can check out his podcast, Creating Wealth Simplified and uh, check out Chris. So Chris, let's do this, man. Let's dive in. Let's talk about uh, who you are, what you're all about. Let's go. Uh, so yeah, Um as you mentioned, you know, started out in commercial construction uh, back in uh, the late 90s after I graduated from college, worked up in the Northeast for a large uh, real estate uh, construction firm at that point in time. And, uh, you know, fast forward uh, 10 years working from them up in the Northeast, I moved down to the Washington, D.C. area for them, uh, spent another five years for them. And then, you know, got to the point of in your mid thirties, got burnt out, uh, working six days a week and kind of, as people would say at that point in time, went over a little bit to the dark side, which is on the development side from the construction side. Uh, and really was doing the same thing just, uh, for a different company, really, uh, still building large multifamily projects, uh, you know, four or 500 unit multifamily properties, uh, courthouses, clubhouses, hospital work. Uh, so pretty much any, you name it, I've pretty much built it uh, during that time. And then once I started working with the real estate developers, you know, they're much more entrepreneurial and yeah. they're kind of like, Hey, what's your in your own portfolio? What are you going to retire with? And when I'm saying, Oh, I got my 401k and they sit there and they laugh at me. And, uh, <laughs> my boss at the time, uh, was, uh, you know, somebody who had five or six properties out in the Southern California area. And he's like, tell me like, dude, you got to get your own properties or you're just, you're going to never be able to retire. So that's kind of what got me kickstarted into buying my own real estate. And uh, we first actually started out, um, our first project, our own was we built our primary residence. So we oh, bought wow. a we bought a piece of property. Um, we actually were buying it for the land. Um, and we were joking, we had to get a home inspection because we we're getting a mortgage on it. And we were telling the home inspector, just, we don't care. Like you don't need to put the repairs because we're going to knock this thing down. And he's like, yeah, you don't know how many times I heard that. And I was laughing like, well, you don't know my wife more even or myself. Um, so we, uh, you know, literally bought the house, uh, spent six months designing it, got the permits uh, and knocked it down. And six months later, we were moved in right before Christmas. 
business. Uh, and that was kind of our first project. Then we did, you know, kind of some fix and flips uh, and rehab work. And then once that became too much with the kids, that's kind of how I got transitioned into note space about six years ago. Um, you know, while I was still working that full-time job uh, and kind of, you know, Fast forward to today, um, now I left my full-time job uh, several months ago. We've got uh, a new fund and I've got nine employees actually as well. So it's no been, way. been a, a roller coaster and fantastic <laughs> fun ride. So Dang, that that's quite a journey. Yeah. So I want to peel back some of that onion there and, yep. and dive into some of your journey. So um, what... So you had a a pivotal moment where you're working construction company, development Mm -hmm. company, and they're talking about like, what do you have in your portfolio? Um, Had you known much about real estate investing for yourself up until then? Or was that like an aha moment for you? I I knew about it, but it was one of those things where I think it was more about timing because uh, I was also, you know, during, you know, there was a crack 2008, um, you know, during that time, and this is actually a pretty crazy story. Uh, I, the company, um, I was working for, it actually left, um, for several months to go work for another company. And they basically one day literally walk in and there were, people were there early and I'm like, what's going on? They're never here early. Basically shut the office down. And they're shutting down and they said, Hey, you got a project that's going to go on for another four months or whatever. And I was like, Oh, great. Um, literally during that time, um, I was married and my wife at the time is like, I want a divorce. So oh, the wow. end of 2008 was like, okay, you know, divorce, find, trying to find a job. I mean, the economy is just completely tanking. Um, so that's kind of when I just picked up and moved to Washington, DC. Um, but at that time still, you know, it was, you know, with the economy and kind of going through all that transition, um, I knew about real estate investing, but I wasn't in a financial position to really get into it because we had to sell our house up in Massachusetts. We took a big loss on it. So I had a lot of savings that just got washed away. And then, you know, the, the agreements that I made at the time were, you know, it was actually a good agreement because it was a lump sum agreement um, of getting out. We, we didn't have kids, so it's much easier, but I wasn't really in a position till kind of 2012 or 13 when I got involved where I could actually start getting into real estate. Yeah, that's crazy. So um, I think what was interesting you said there is once you had kids, you were doing the fix and flip stuff, right? You, you'd done a couple, bought a couple rentals. Mm-hmm. What, what was it about note investing that opened up your eyes to say, this is better for my lifestyle? Yeah. Great question. And it was really based upon the kind of me, I'll say my, our lifestyle at that point in time, because we're in a Washington DC area and very competitive market for people who are in major MSAs, you know, if it was an off-market deal, if you weren't there that day or the next day putting in an offer or having a hard money lender already lined up and stuff, it's very, very difficult to get a good deal. I mean, there's Mm. so many people chasing so little deals. Um, And, you know, again, with the kids and working full-time at the time as well, it was almost impossible to find, get, 
you know, get in the track of any good deals. And plus, you know, I didn't have all the connections in the area. And what got me into note investing was all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, I can do this in front of my computer anytime during the day. And somebody would send me a list of assets and give me a week to evaluate, to put in a bid where it's not like first one, first bid, first win or whatever, you know, it was basically give people time to do this. I'm like, wow, this is pretty interesting. And then as I got to realize a process where it's really very laid back in the sense of like, if you were buying a note from me and you said, Chris, I'll give you a hundred grand for that note. I'm like, sure. Great. You know, I'll send you the documents and you go do your due diligence. And two weeks later you buy the note. Great. Or there might be something you need to fade that your numbers a little bit on, on it or whatever. If you close great. If you're not, okay, you know, off to the next one and so forth. It's um, so it's very kind of a, you know, a, a business that it's all about relationships, but it allows, again, that flexibility to be able to do it anywhere at any point in time. Okay. So I'm, I'm starting to get nerdy here where I want to learn more because <laughs> I don't know that much about note investing. I understand the concept. I understand yep. enough about it mm-hmm. and the purpose of it, but maybe if we break it down to an elementary level for my own self, I'm going to say this mm-hmm. so I hear it myself and for listeners, you know, note investing is where someone has a mortgage on a property of mm-hmm. some sort of some type of terms and you're basically buying that i'm assuming you yeah. can buy them from banks you can buy them buy them from private parties and mm-hmm. now you're essentially the bank you you paid money to own that and now you're mm-hmm. receiving the the monthly payments that pay down the principal in addition mm-hmm. to the interest over the course of the terms of the note right Exactly. And, you know, a lot of people will do private lending, which, you know, it's a, a form of note investing. The mm-hmm. difference with what we do is, you know, we'll take a note, let's say it was originated in 2012, and that borrower might not be, they might not have paid in the last four years. Yeah. Um, so people think, oh, I miss a payment or two that they're not, they're going to get thrown out of their house. It's typically not the case. It usually takes years. Um, so we'll go and we'll buy that from a private equity firm, hedge fund, a bank. Um, but we we'll probably pay, call it 50 cents on the dollar. So if they owe a hundred thousand dollars on that loan, we're probably picking it up for about fifty thousand mm. dollars. And people are like, well, why would they sell it so cheap? Well, many reasons why, um, because they may, you know, I'm not gonna get into every single reason, but they want to get it off their books. Yep. And then on the flip side is why would you buy that? And you gotta remember, you're still secured by that property. The property is still your collateral. So if they don't come on some new type of payment plan, you can foreclose and take that property. But we try and work out a new arrangement or a new payment plan with them because it's actually more profitable from a yield perspective. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of note investing. And it's what's interesting is, you know, we talked about my career starting in the late 90s and stuff. I actually didn't hear about note investing till 2016. So I was oh, actually, wow. I was pissed because I'm like, how did I not know about <laughs> this? I knew about private lending, but I didn't realize banks and everything were selling off, you know, all their bad debt or other debt. Some of it's, I mean, we buy stuff that people are paying as well, uh, but, you know, probably 70% of what we buy is um, stuff that people are behind on their mortgage. Yeah. So where do you even go to find these? I mean, obviously in in my world of wholesaling, fix and flips, buying single family rentals and some small multifamily that we own, um, we primarily work with private lenders and hard money lenders. I know that, you know, if I really, really wanted to go try to 
find some notes I could buy some off of somebody and, and they'd mm-hmm. all prim- primarily be short-term loans, mm-hmm. but sounds like most of them are long-term loans that, that are in place. So where, where do you even go to find these? Yeah. To answer your question, most of them are 30 year uh, owner occupied loans. Okay. Uh, so where we go, the, you know, I'll call it, you know, the low hanging fruit are what's called the servicing companies. Um, those okay. are companies that actually collect the payments. You know, as a investor, you never want to be the one handling the money or collecting the payments or dealing with the borrower because of all the compliance issues with the CFPB and everything. You want a licensed company to handle all that for you. Mm. So a lot of those companies um, have trade desks that liquidate assets. Or if you have a relationship with them, you can pick up the phone and say, hey, do you know anybody that's looking to move any assets? And they'll typically connect you. Uh, the other place is really conferences, is co- because it's really? such a it's such a small industry. Um, you know, there's this one conference called IMN um, that has a distressed uh, loan. Uh, there was one recently in LA that we went to in September. There's probably 50 different firms there that you know are larger players. And when I say larger players, I'm talking hundred million dollar companies and bigger that they're looking for people to off, you know, offload some of that inventory too. And there's also websites you can buy one off. So if you're just starting out and you have say 25,000 bucks that you want to start with, um, you could go buy a note on a website called Paperstack as an example. Wow. That's pretty wild. So again, my, my, my mind is uh, spinning here thinking of questions. So the, uh, what is, so you could find them through so these relationships through service companies. You go to conferences, right? And like you said, all you said at the beginning, it's a relationship business. So you build some good relationships there. You can find some good opportunities. What would cause these larger companies who are already servicing or have these notes in their portfolio, what would cause them to want to sell at a good deal to mm-hmm. the average Joe? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So, you know, best way I like to explain it sometimes is using traditional real estate. And let's say you had four rentals that were, you know, 250 grand a piece, but you could pick up a four unit property for call it a million or 1.1. You're like, Hey, look, I want to get rid of these other four to focus on this one. Um, And that happens a lot in notes because one of the interesting things with note investing is whether it's a $5 million home or a $50,000 home, it costs the same to service that loan every month. It costs the same to foreclose on that borrower. So if, you know, these, these funds, if they have that, we're talking thousands of loans, mm-hmm. you know, they typically will put them in tranches where, Hey, if it's under like 50 or hundred thousand dollar balance, that's not going to get the attention as a $2 million loan. And like everybody, everybody's only got so much time and staff. So they'll focus on those priority loans. And a lot of those lower ones get kind of thrown aside or left out sometimes. And instead of them just sitting there kind of not having people or want to bring people in to manage them, they'll look to sell them off um, to funds or, you know, people like us to, uh, to acquire them. Or it might be, you know, another thing like what happens to us a lot you know, we buy in about 40 states, but there's several states we just don't want to own assets in. And we may buy a pool of 100, a pool is a collection of 100 loans, but there might be five in that one state we just don't like to do business with. So we'll still buy the 100, but we'll just turn around and just sell those five because we just don't have attorneys or want to deal with that state. So many different yeah. reasons. It's not because it's a bad loan. Um, there are sometimes people do that, but there's many different reasons why businesses sell, just like, like why a lot of people will sell a rental or real estate property. 
That's awesome. So another thing that you touched on, and uh, this is for for the listeners to really get their their ear fine-tuned. So there's a difference between performing notes and non-performing notes. So what let's maybe talk about that for a second, what those mm-hmm. what that means. And then what are the types that you go after if if not both? Yeah. So performing loan means the borrower is current within 30 days of their payment. Uh, so anybody who owns a home, you know, you pay your mortgage every month, you're a performing loan. Non-performing is if that person is more than 90 days behind. So once they get more than 90 days behind, it gets kicked into a non-performing status. And the other types of loans I'll just briefly mention are there's the positions of the loan being a first or a second uh, position. Yeah, yeah. Um, and most people are used to seeing hearing first position. You go buy a house, you get a mortgage, that's a first position. You go pull a home equity line of credit, you know, that's second position. So if you ever stop paying, you know, that main mortgage would get paid before your home equity line of credit would. So and we typically only deal in that in that first position space. Gotcha. Okay. So what's your favorite type of, of notes? Is it the performing, non-performing? Where's the where's the best opportunity and where you like to spend your yeah. time? We our portfolio is about 70% non-performing oh, wow. uh, and 30% performing. And we like to balance it for a aggressive just risk. Actually, my favorite type of loan, which we could talk hours on, um, is loans and bankruptcy. Wow. And, okay. And, that sounds, and, <laughs> that sounds uh, complex and interesting right there. Well, it, and it is. And that's why we like them because uh, they could get very complex. But if you understand them, they can be very profitable because sometimes people may not understand what it is they have with the loan. So they may want to liquidate it because of fear. It's like, you know, someone all of a sudden, you know, you used to drive, you know, all of a sudden you, show up at your friend's house and you're driving a stick shift and you say, Hey, come drive this. They're going to be like, I don't know how to drive that. You know, similar to a bankruptcy loan. All of a sudden, if a loan goes in bankruptcy, somebody would be like, I don't know how to manage this too much risk. I might want to liquidate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, I, you know, they're like my favorite type of loan. So, so you have about 30% of performing, right? I'm yep. assuming that's to have stabilization of cash flow and stuff like that. And then the yep. non-performing, what level of effort goes into those? Because you said in your example earlier, someone owes a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the ser- the servicer or just I guess the note holder doesn't want to deal with it. They want it off their books. They're willing to sell it fifty cents on the dollar, and mm-hmm. you pick it up at fifty thousand. Um, you know how much effort it goes into you contacting and and making an actual conversation happen to negotiate to start making payments, to have a lower payment every month or extend, you know, whatever it is, what, what does that look like usually? Yeah. It's like being your own general contractor is really what it's like. And your subcontractors are your servicing company, your attorney, and call it a realtor slash preservation company. And those are the three key players. And, you know, you have to manage everyone like a, you know, like they're a little child, um, you know, and with the servicer, it's, Hey, are you calling the borrower? Can you get them on the phone? Uh, and then, you know, with the attorney, it's managing them to, if the borrower is behind what you typically would do is you'll send a demand letter 
which is from an attorney. And once somebody sees something on attorney letterheads, usually that gets more the, serious, right? It gets more serious. Um, but even like after that process, if nothing happens, the attorney has to file the official complaint, which is basically the lawsuit against the borrower. And, you know, typically I've had complaints take three days to draft. I've had some take two months to draft. And the only difference is because it's the quality of the attorney. And time mm. is money in the note space because on a non-performing loan, that money is not generating any revenue for you. So yeah. every month, you know, if you um, you know have money in it, you're basically paying money out the door. But if you have investors, you're burning a hole in your wallet. So it's very important to manage your vendors. And as we got on before, I was kind of pulling my hair out um, because I had you know two attorney things come up today, which were just you know head scratchers in regards to uh, some of the things that. Um, we've had, and, you know, I'll, I'm knocking attorneys right now, but you know, 95% of them are great, but the time you get that one, you know, kind of <laughs> that just, you know, drives you nuts. It's, you oh, know, yeah. it, it's, it's good. Uh, you know, it's good. Uh, water cooler talking. Yeah. A good attorney is worth the money that you pay. Um, yeah. but there's definitely some that just make life more difficult and frustrating. And that's just how it goes, you know? Exactly. Um, okay. So. Let's uh let let's let's talk about the the next exciting thing that you're working on. So you yeah. you go from this background of commercial real estate working in that corporate world, and um one thing we hadn't touched on yet, which was kind of what had you transition, right? We talked mm -hmm. about it before. What what happened in life that kind of got you to say, oh crap, maybe I should look into this investing mm -hmm. side? Yeah. So. Uh God, it's almost been a, I think a decade. I think it was 2013 or 14. Uh, at a health scare where um, I woke up one morning and my hands and feet were paralyzed. They're numb. Um, at first, I thought I like just slept on my shoulder the wrong way or something, or you know, pinched <laughs> nerve. But when it's both hands and both feet, it's like okay, something ain't right. Uh, so went to you know, of course, went to the hospital. Spent a week in the hospital, going through the myriad of tests. Um, you know, spinal tap not recommended. Not a fun thing to have um, if mm -hmm. you don't have to have one. Uh, but what ended up they found out was a, a condition which was called transverse mellitus, which is like a one-off episode of MS where in your in your spinal column your immune system attacks the your nerves and i guess wow. you know i learned a lot your nerves are actually like a conduit where you got your nerve which has like a sheathing or protection around it but if that protection gets damaged it can kind of create some challenges for that's you. That's a short circuit. <laughs> yeah, it's like a short circuit. And that's basically what happened. Um, thankfully, I didn't have any permanent damage uh, with it, but um, it kind of opened up my eyes at the time of sitting there thinking, okay, you know, I'm very reliant on being able to get up, walk around and, you know, do things with my job. And my grandmother had MS and, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, and she passed away at the age of 60. So I'm sitting there like, oh my God, like if that happened to me, I wouldn't be able to take care of my family. So that's what really kind of spurned uh getting involved in that real estate in yeah. personal uh portfolios i think that happens to a lot of people is they have something happen in life that just slaps them across the face and it's like whoa okay i gotta look at things differently i gotta do something different here and mm -hmm. uh so you kind of took things in your own hands right and started to, yeah. to get involved in real estate investing and then a couple of years later after that you found note investing and yeah. said to yourself where the heck has this been my whole life? So um, let's let's get to the the big juicy thing that, that we want to share here is what you're doing next. So you're mm -hmm. fully into to the to the real estate game. You've got your team, right? What's the the big exciting thing you guys are working on now? 
Yeah. So we're working on, uh, so in July, we got uh, qualified by the SEC for a regulation A plus fund. So we can go out and raise $75 million, which we're well into our raise right now. Um, but what's great about um, this type of offering is it's accredited or non-accredited. And I can sit here and talk about it on podcasts. Uh, most people are secret. used to, <laughs> Yeah. Most people who do the 506C, you know, you can advertise, but it's like accredited only. Or if you do a 506B, it's like, oh, hush, hush, can't talk about it. Um, you know, so we did the, the 506C, I'm sorry, the, the regulation a, um, we had done 506C in the past, but I had a lot of investors who, you know, you know, we call, call them Henry's they're high earning, but not, you know, rich yet. And, you know, people who have, you know, a few hundred grand sitting around, um, or probably three quarters of California, um, who, you know, make really good wage, have money sitting there, but they might, you know, not have that consistent income or outside their primary residence might not have that million dollars. Um, but they've got like, Hey, I've got 50 or hundred grand. I can invest, but I can't invest with you. And I probably turned down 20 or 30 people in the past just because of that. Mm -hmm. And just another offering. So when we were getting, you know, looking at this, this latest fund, we were going to launch, um, between that and, I don't know if you recall about a year ago when the um, government was talking about getting rid of allowing people with IRAs to invest in syndications, kind of the Peter Thiel issue um, where um, people know Peter Thiel. He founded PayPal or one of those where he took his Roth IRA and put like $100 in it for PayPal, which turned into like $5 billion. <laughs> so it was um, so they they basically... Um, because back then, I guess the rules were different on what you could do with your Roths and so forth with investing in your own company. So they kind of like allowed, stopped that, but they were trying to really take it a next level and not allow any person with an IRA to invest in any type of private syndication. And wow. that was getting tossed around last year. And the way around it was by doing a regulation, a offering. So I was sitting there thinking, well, if this ever were to pass, which I doubt it would, and I already had this in the works, I, you know, would be at the forefront of, you know, that investment arm of people. Oh, where can you put your money? I got to get out of syndication. I could sit there and, you know, wave my hand. I'm like, Hey, I got a place for you. Um, of course that law didn't pass, but yeah. it still, um, really wanted us to focus on being able to open up our fund to everybody. Because when you look at the competition for accredited investors. I mean, there's, I forget how many accredited investors, but that invest in real estate, but we're all chasing the same people, you know, for the most part, but all of a sudden now my pawn, because I can do non-accredited investors or, you know, in people, my, my pool is completely so much bigger of people. So you know, I've got, bigger, yeah. you know, every person over the age of 18 in the U S can invest in my fund and it's only 500 bucks minimum. That's the other thing that with our, with these types of funds, you can keep that low minimum. Wow. Because of the team we put in place and the automation with computer software nowadays can allow you to allow for smaller investments and not have it be a headache with dealing with thousands of investors. Right. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. So um let's talk about the the difference in costs because that's you 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 touched on all right, mm -hmm. so with um you know, this, this type of fund I can raise from accredited, this one, I got to be quiet about it, friends and family. And yep. then, you know, this one, I can pretty much have anybody. What, what, why wouldn't any, everybody just do a regulation? A? Yeah. Well, if you don't have six figures sitting around, that's, <laughs> that's the first hurdle. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the cost is one, and then you're also dealing with the SEC. 
you know, with the regulation D's, those other offerings, you're exempt. You file an exemption. Um, with this, we actually had to file with, um, you know, with the SEC and get, you know, they don't approve anything. They make that very clear. You only qualify you. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to have a broker dealer involved um, to, to go through this process who keeps you in compliance. They're actually worth every penny. Um, and then, uh, you know, just a, a, an attorney to draft all these documents and just the team is much different. So it's much larger team, but you're going to spend, um, you know, over a hundred thousand, um, putting this offering together. Um, I'd say, you know, typically you're going to be between a hundred and 150,000 where with a, you know, those regulation D 506 C's you now you can get those done anywhere from 10 to 25,000, um, depending on how complex you make it. So you're looking at, you know, a significant cost difference. Yeah, no kidding. So let's ask the the multiple million dollar question, which is where do you find these accredited investors, non-accredited investors, people that want to mm -hmm. invest in something like this that that is a fund you put together? Like I think a lot of people that are going to listen to this are maybe looking for funds for a fix and flip or they're looking for a commercial project or something like that. Like how can people find mm -hmm. investors? Yeah. So the way we find them is we hired a marketing company out of New York that, you know, and this is important for people who raise a fund. If you go to a marketing company, make sure you understand what their niches. And this, this was a great learning experience because when we were interviewing people, a lot of people we were talking to were really equity-based companies. Like there's one company, and I actually invest in this company, they make the machines that flip burgers. It's called Miso, M-I-S-O Robotics. Really cool. And they make these machines that they're selling overseas. And now, you know, with labor costs getting expensive, they literally make the burgers at all these fast food restaurants. Um, and I was speaking with this company, but they're all about kind of tech companies or people who really want to hit that home run where you invest and you get equity in the company. Mm -hmm. Real estate is typically kind of a yield-based offering where you get a preferred return. You know, it's kind of, you know, call it slow and steady where, you know, you're not going to hit that home run like a VC where you're going to get 200% return, but you're not going to lose everything. Um, so we found a company that really focused on ETFs and real estate. Um, and, you know, we pay them you know, a monthly fee to manage all our marketing. And our primary avenue has been um, through newsletters uh, and uh, Facebook. And when I say like newsletters, there's a company that they use that we get, I want to say, I think we're over like 50 million impressions since um, July. Wow. So, which are views, um, you know, we with joke the newsletter. With with the newsletters, they they're connected with like all the different newsletters um, that a lot of people get that are involved in different things. Um, so also, you know, the advertising you see on the side of newsletters and stuff like that. Um, if somebody goes to our website or is in one, it gets into one of our campaigns, you know, with tracking and cookies nowadays, um, you know, they'll start seeing us as well on those. Um, one of the big challenges I'll just mention for people in today's world though, on all this marketing, you know, these, this is the worst device now because the iPhones basically now have got all that software that blocks a lot of that tra tracking. Um, so gotcha. that's why if you hear like Facebook is getting crushed on revenue and Google and stuff, oh, really? it's because most people are searching on their iPhone and they can't track people like they used to since iOS, whatever, 15 or 16 came out. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. That's uh that is a game changer there. So the newsletter, it, 
is in different articles that people are cruising around looking at stuff and then Facebook advertising, I'm guessing. Yep. Facebook ads and Google ads. And it's crazy. I mean, people think, oh, you know, you go run a Facebook ad. Um, and I mean, we're at the point where they've got analytics that will take your ad and break it down like the header, the middle, the footer and every little piece. And they can track almost like which, you know, then they put them in different ads and they almost like try the different pieces to see which pieces fit the best to make it like, you know, which puzzle is the best that is driving most people to your website. The analytics nowadays is, you know, and I know your professional, you know, former athlete, you know, it's very similar of, you know, with all the little metrics that everyone goes by right now, they analyze everything to the T of we're constantly changing ads pretty much on a daily basis or the message. Wow. Yeah. So no wonder you got a team full-time on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we had to outsource it. Like I said, that's all this company does. And like you mentioned with the investors, one of the other key things we have is with our investor relations team, you know, we have a staff of three people who um, not only are making a lot of those phone calls uh, out to investors who are interested, but once somebody invests you know, that initial onboarding of letting you know, hey, we're still here, helping them get, you know, the W-9 if you need that, or, you know, making sure, you know, if their IRA custodian needs any additional forms, where they can go online to look up, you know, their their shares and stuff that they've invested. Um, that whole process of just constant communication, I think is something that's been a game changer because I know people who've tried to invest in other funds and it's kind of like a clunky process or it might be a little more challenging where if you can streamline it and have an actual physical human being, um, it's amazing how many times people will say, oh my God, I actually got somebody on a phone. You know, people <laughs> you know, forget actually that phones are meant to actually talk on, not just text on. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. I think that's a good lesson for people to hear is Sometimes that that human touch, that person goes a long way with building those relationships because people feel heard. They feel like they're getting the the response that they need. So I think that's powerful. Um, okay, so raising the fund, raising going through the raising period right now. What what do you do with all this money when you're done? Seventy five million bucks is a lot of money. You mm -hmm. know where where do you go crazy with that? Yep. So with our offering, we kept it broad intentionally. Uh, and it's not just notes. I mean, notes is our primary, but we're allowed to invest in other types of real estate. And you have to keep it broad because for example, today, if I wanted to go buy a multifamily deal, it would be very challenging based on interest rates and where things are at. Um, and if you have all money coming in and you're pigeonholed just to one area, it makes it very challenging. So we can buy, um, traditional single family rentals. We can buy multifamily rentals. We could do a little bit of development. Um, you know, we can buy notes. So basically any aspect of real estate, we can pretty much take that money to do. But like I said, our primary focus is a on mortgage note investing. And the other thing where we try not or limit or pretty much not want to do, especially with notes is we don't take on leverage. You know, with note investing, you're not going to leverage because you are the bank. Um, you know, right. you are the leverage. Um, so you don't need leverage for the leverage. And I think that goes a long way with the investors knowing that, um, you know, if, you know, housing comes down or something happens and you foreclose on a property, it's like, okay, well, we own this outright. We can rent it. We can sell or finance it. We can rehab it and sell it. We got every options. We don't have a bank screaming at us, asking where our payment is. And it's costing us money every month. It's costing us a return from our investors, but it gives us so much more flexibility. 
Yeah, no kidding. I love I love the sound of that. So, um, so what? How how are you able to then focus on different strategies? It sounds like it's pretty broad. So you're going to do some note investing, and if opportunities come up in single family or commercial, you'll be able to take advantage of those. So uh, the question I was going to ask is, once you've raised the money and you start placing it, is there any sort of like um, commitment to the time frame in which you are um, need to place those funds? Like, do you have a certain time period at the place those funds? Yeah. So the way it works is we people invest in every month we'll pull funds, and you know funds will get invested to go in escrow, and every month we'll pull the money from our escrow company, and we can start investing that money right at that point in time. We had no minimum on our fund. So oh, like our amazing. first month, so our first month, let's say we, we raised about a million dollars our first month. We raised that million dollars. We already put it to work. So we're amazing. already putting that money to work every month. So right now we're at the end of November. We're already bidding on deals for the money we raised in November that we're going to pull out in the first week of December. Mm -hmm. So it's a constant. We don't have to wait till we get five, 10, 20 million or 50 million and then place it every month that we raise money, we're putting that money to work. Um, and to answer your other question about kind of how we structure things, it's interesting because, you know, like I talked earlier, I left my full-time job earlier this year. You know, I joke I had the nice cozy corner office and everything. And, uh, you know, in prior to, I was kind of working by myself. Now I have a team of nine other individuals that work with me. Um, and we have a separate asset management team. So we have uh, um, a woman, Chi, who runs, she's director of asset management. She's got, um, you know, two other people who work with her, who manage the assets. So her and I do a lot of um, the chase, um, you know, going after these deals along with another woman, Delaney, who runs a lot of our ops as well. Um, and in the interim, she helps on this, these chases. Perfect example is literally before this call, I was on a call where we were looking at a $60 million tape of notes that had wow. you know, 600 assets on it. And we were just filtering, okay, you know, let's break it down to what states we want and just kind of pilfering. And we were splitting that up. We have a call tomorrow that we're going to put numbers to it and get bids in by the end of this week this kind of so that's crazy that's insane that's some uh some big baller stuff right there <laughs> uh no that's exciting though because it, it's a whole different ball game and it sounds like it's less competitive right it's it's not mm -hmm. uh as many people that are doing it so although there's other people that that might want those same assets um it's mm -hmm. just a different game so that's exciting man um well, I wish you all the best of luck. It seems like a super exciting thing to be a part of and to be doing yourself. I definitely want to stay um, you know, up to date with everything that you're doing. And guys, if you want to follow Chris along his journey, you can check him out on the Creating Wealth Simplified podcast. You can go to youtube.com forward slash 7E investments, the number seven, the letter E investments, or you can go to 7einvestments.com. Chris, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Like I said, I was a, a nerd here, just excited to learn more. And I know there was so much good, juicy stuff for the people listening. So appreciate all your time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great uh, chatting with you. And uh, you know, if I head out in the Southern California next time I'm out there, we'll get together, grab, buy you lunch. Absolutely. Sounds great, man. Thanks. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, until next time, appreciate it. Peace.